morning. Uh, thank you for turning in for another edition of The Lowdown. Today in the studio I have Gina Bishop, the CEO of Providence, Dr. Steve Smith, the Chief of Staff, Carly France, the Senior Communications Specialist from Providence Kodiak Island Medical Center, and Stephen Flora, the Clinical Manager from Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. Thank you all for taking time out of your busy lives to come in and share with the public what's going on at our local uh, hospital and local mental health center. Um, Let's just begin with um, Dr. Smith. How's life changed for you? Well, we're, um, as everybody's aware, much more uh, in tune with the current infectious disease process or coronavirus. Um, it's made us realize that um, we need to think about how to deal with an infectious disease. Um, fortunately, we've had previous planning for that. Um, but it's it's made us all look at how we give, how we do medicine. Um, can we do some by remote telemedicine, direct face to face? So it's really changing, I think, the whole approach to how we do medical care. Um, hospital planning, planning for an epidemic or planning for for a disaster is probably part of regular protocol for hospitals. So Providence has probably been involved in this for many years, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that we did was we stood up our incident command, and we have an emergency operations center within the hospital, and we meet twice daily. And we have an infectious disease plan that we changed back in 2014 with all of the education we've received for uh, the Ebola crisis. And so one of the things that Kodiak benefited from was the National Ebola Training and Education Center team from Nebraska, Alabama, um, Georgia, and New York actually came to Kodiak, and we had a number of community partners that also received that training. And so we've done a lot of exercises around that, and we've had, we had a three-stage exercise where we transferred a mock patient to uh, PAMC, Providence Anchorage Medical Center, and then down to Spokane. So we've had a lot of training, and we're pulling that training back together and reviewing our plans. So there's a plan already that's in place in, in your hospital? Yes, absolutely. And that plan's already been... A f- so, so what triggers it? Um, is, is it get triggered by the CDC announcements, by the go- governor's? Really a combination of all of those things and for being prepared for our community. So we don't know what this virus looks like in the future for Kodiak. We're fortunate today that we don't have any positive cases in Kodiak. We definitely don't want any cases in Kodiak. And so we're really encouraging the public to stay home and shelter in place and really follow those governor's orders. And so, um, but we're prepared should we get a case. And our teams are working really hard to make sure that we can care for folks. So when did it, uh, when did it get onto your radar? I mean, was it back in December and January? Is it a collective thing that comes from working with partners throughout the state? I mean, what? I think from the medical community, we started seeing things in the different medical um, journals, podcasts, 
sometime in mid-December, end of December. I'm not, don't remember the exact date. And then as, as things have progressed, um, it's become the topic of um, every medical society, I think. So is there anything about this particular virus that makes you more concerned and makes you want to elevate the level of the plan that's being implemented? I mean, you did Ebola, which is is scary enough. So I think one of the things is is that this is they call it a novel virus that we it's new to the human population, and so the researchers are still trying to give us information. You know, how long? Where? How long? How is it transmitted? We think we know that it's by respiratory. You know, we know that it can live up to seventy-two hours on some surfaces, but we don't. We're still finding out that information, so we hold with the current 14-day quarantine recommendation, the social distancing. Um, now, are there special skills that are necessary and, and the staff to deal with what potentially could come? Well, one of the things that we do with any infectious disease or communicable disease is take steps to protect both the patient and our personnel. So those those skills are still the same set. Um, I think you're referring to intensive medicine services, and currently we can rely on um, Anchorage uh, hospitals to augment that um, process. So the the current plan is is still to um, have people that are sick call a number, call their their local provider stay home until they're advised to come to the hospital? Uh, that's correct. And then the plan at the hospital is to keep people for a while or to assess the situation if they need significant services to try and fly them to Anchorage? So if we have a patient who is ill, we're going to take care of them. If it's an infectious process such as coronavirus, then we have a process to um, both protect that patient and our staff um, from any infectious disease. Uh, Gina referred to the Ebola training, and, and it's the same training. You use uh, protective equipment to limit your expo direct exposure to that patient. Um, and then if somebody's critical, as we would do if, if they had a heart attack or another critical medical condition that they needed to be referred to a tertiary care center with advanced capabilities, we would transfer them off. And right now, the Anchorage hospitals are gearing up and prepared to accept our patients as we would normally um, do. Okay. So how has life changed already in the hospital? Are you seeing things differently? Are you doing things a different way? It's, it's a lot quieter. Um, we've actually put, um, we have some pretty strict visitor restrictions in place right now to protect not only our patients and our caregivers, but also the community. Um, so currently we, um, we will not allow visitors in general. There's a few exceptions. Um, you can visit somebody who's at end of life, for example, or um, if you have a child that's hospitalized. Otherwise, um, and you know, it's it's it is unfortunate, but um, we are very um, drastically limiting the number of people who are coming into the hospital. Um, 
We definitely want you to come if you need care. If you need care, our doors are definitely open. Um, but another example is our cafeteria is not serving to the public. So, and, and these are these are definitely um, you know these are steps that we don't want to have to take, but it's they're necessary right now. So, um, yep, the halls are pretty quiet. Um, we we don't see as many people um, that we normally do. Uh, but again, it's it's necessary. How many people work at Providence? So we have 360 employees, including the counseling center. And so typically on an average day, there's probably 150 people in the facility at one time on the day shift. And then night shift is probably around 30 to 35 staff. So how has communication changed? Have you had had to do other things? I mean, there, is there an acceleration of staff meetings? How do you communicate in, in within the organization to get yourself prepared for something like this? So we have online meetings. Skype and Microsoft Teams are two platforms that we use within the health system. And so we're on definitely on lots of calls that come through that method. There's texting, emails, announcements. Um, there's lots of communication coming out all the time. Yeah, and I'll also just add that we are we are tied um, to the hip um, of our sister facility um, in Anchorage, and as well as other facilities throughout the um, throughout the system. We're all sharing information. We're sharing best practices. Um, we're communicating. So not only just with our um, Alaska hospitals. But um, with the other 49 hospitals that uh, exist within Providence St. Joseph Health. So it's a very collaborative, um, across the board, um, sharing information, providing, um, you know, as I said, best practices. Um, so it's, um, it is a lot of meetings but it's, um, and a lot of communication, but it's been great. Well, is it is it in any way affecting your ability to, of this the, to do the regular run of the mill work that you normally do? Well, at least I can speak for my team. Um, I'm on on the marketing and communications team, and we have hauled off all other work. So COVID is number one. Um, we have put everything else um, at a, a much much lower priority, um, and, and this is what we're focused on day in day out. So for the time being, we're, you're not having any problem allocating resources to the amount of people that you normally see, right? Um, and is there, is there part of a plan that actually talks about that? If, if you become overwhelmed with patients, how you deal with um, the 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 childbirth and the emergency room things and, and yeah I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the emergency room and admission practice whether that's changed or, already oh definitely our emergency room practice has changed it, it, even at the EMS level I um, mean and, and uh, Jim Milliken who's a the uh, chief. fire chief um, they have a process to actually screen individuals and I'll defer that. But once somebody comes to the hospital, we still screen that person um, for infectious disease questions. Um, you know, are, have you been ill? Have you traveled anywhere? Do you have a fever? Those are all part of a normal triage questions set. And if those are affirmative, then there um, we take steps to either put a mask on that patient, put masks on our providers, 
uh, just droplet masks, not even going to the N95, um, more um, filtered masks. So we, so, and it's also changed the amount of individuals coming through the ER. Um, it's less, you mean? A lot less and more what you would think an ER is. Um, in that we deal with people who are are acutely ill. And, um, so, do we have enough resources to for protective gear for the people who work there? Um, we do currently, and and the overall system, as Carly mentioned, is the one nice thing about Providence is it's big enough that they have the ability to acquire medical supplies um, on a much bigger level and they can distribute to us as we need but currently we're um, doing well yeah um, I have a question from a listener who wants to know how many people in Kodiak have been tested Was it? I can't I, I can't speak to that and the number of people who have been um, tested because some of that is done through the um, outpatient testing centers as I re- referred to earlier, that are run by uh, both KCHC and CANA. Um, I, I think they're only, they did two tests yesterday. So the good news is right now we're not seeing a lot of people who meet criteria to have a test collected. And, and we don't do a test on Kodiak Island. Those are sent out either to the state lab in Anchorage or Fairbanks, or there's a couple commercial labs. Um, that are doing those. So those, that, so people need to know we aren't doing the actual testing. It's just a collection here. So if if somebody comes into the emergency room and they have an elevated ten- temperature and you're sus- suspicious that potentially this person has has the virus, um, how does the person then get treated safely to keep them away from the rest of the population? Um, and that's a good question, Mike. So the first thing is we have what's called a negative pressure room. And so if we have an individual that, that would meet the criteria of an infectious disease, we're concerned that it could be coronavirus, they go into that negative pressure room where air comes in and is filtered out. And then our staff would put on um, the appropriate protection, which means eye protection. Um, Depending on how close they are to the patient um, will dictate whether they use um, a mask or a hood. They're going to put on a protective gown, gloves. The things we would normally do for anybody who has potential body fluid, respiration, illness, whether it's coronavirus or a trauma patient or anything, we're going to take those steps to protect the patient and ourselves. But um, I would be inclined, just myself, to put the whole suit and the whole hood and the mask and thing on as they're coming through the door with the ambulance. How how do you... So, you'll, you'll leave it to the ambulance driver to make the initial assessment, you know. So the, <laughs> Sorry. I think your question I watch too many movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, we're not going to do the hot zone right away. <laughs> For you, maybe. <laughs> um, 
So I think your question is really refers to when do you put on these N95 masks? Right. And those are a special mask that's a special filter mask that does a much better on fine particles. Those have to be properly fitted to an individual. And we actually every year we have to have a fit testing to make sure that we, that 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 size mask fits our face and doesn't let air flow around it. Um, and so if we were concerned about somebody who had, um, in this case, coronavirus, um, we would have our individuals probably put those N95s on if those people are coughing or we're doing a procedure where they could aerosolize like giving them a nebulizer or if they're put on a ventilator, all those <coughs> things create the potential for particles to be in the air. So we would we would step up to that higher level for our staff. Is this something that like stresses you out? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I think that refers to what Stephen. Said that was my lead-in conversation. Right. So here's a lead-in for, no. for mental health. But <laughs> all of this stresses everybody, and I, you know, we have to. You still have to take time out for yourself. Yeah. Do you have, yeah, I'm going to give you a lead. Do you have enough people to be able to do what you're doing? Right now we do. Okay. We do. And, and I have one more quick follow-up before I go into Stephen. Um, there seems to be um, a lot of people who are volunteering to make masks. And um, when I was in Japan a couple of years ago, uh, half of the population seemed to be wearing a mask, mostly for smog and um for, for colds, but uh, is there any value to having a bandana over your face? I think that the first step is the keeping your distance. And your question about, you know, community-made masks, um, we, uh, currently in the hospital we have enough supplies that we are not needing to have the fabric masks made from the community. No, I, yeah, I wasn't and, talking about you guys. You. But, but I think that um, if people want to make those, then I would um, probably refer that to the Emergency Services Council about okay. where can they bring them and who can they give them to. Okay. Stephen, life has changed at mental health as well. Um, I know there's been some uh, movement towards... Uh, expanding the way that you can provide services now and, and your facility which is located right next to ours is pretty much closed right yes we have no client traffic at all um, everything is done by telehealth so it has changed significantly um, telehealth could be phone call and it could also be a zoom platform where we see video the client and it depends on what the client's capabilities are at their house so um, all, there are no groups. Uh, there are no client traffic in our building at all. So we've minimized that significantly. There's a housing element to that facility too, isn't there? There is. There are three clients that rent, and then um, we have a case manager who is actually going to people's houses or calling them to see what they need. Um, she has done some shopping for them and dropped it at the door, knocks on the door. They come out and get it as she leaves. Um, we do have a nurse 
because there are several clients who get daily meds from us and she delivers those meds with the proper equipment and knocks on the door and leaves those meds and watches the client come out and get their meds. And um, so we're taking care of our clients pretty well, I think. Um, so are they pretty much isolated there? And they are. Right. We have told most of our CSP clients that work with us to remain isolated um, at this time, and most of them are. We call them, um, that case manager's on every Wednesday. She scrolls through the list and calls everybody every Wednesday. So um, just to see what's happening and what they need. Um, approximate, can you give me an approximate number of the people that receive mental health services through you folks on a monthly basis? Wow. Um, a hundred or more, probably. There are four clinicians in the office, and most of them see anywhere between four and six patients a day when we are busy. So probably a hundred or more. Some of those are recurring patients or clients. Um, most have been receptive to the phone call. They don't want to leave their own house. So they're very receptive. I've done several phone calls myself this week. So um, many people enjoy that and they would rather stay in their place and talk to us about how they're feeling, what's going on. Um, you know, what their life is like in their house. So, I would, um, has, has this kind of a therapy been done by you folks before, or is this all something new? It is fairly new to us here at this location of Providence. Other areas of Providence have done it. Um, there is a little bit of a process to do it. You have to be registered with a telehealth registry in the state of Alaska. There has to be specific training because the delivery of it is significantly different. What you say on the phone is different than what you might say in a room setting. And it's a little more casual because I can picture the person on the other end by phone laying on the sofa with earbuds in talking to oh. me. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little different. You have to kind of uh, redirect and ask questions more than once and things like that. It's not like a Zoom platform? You can't see? Well, we can, those patients, but the ones who do not have the ability to do, they don't have internet, oh, right. for example, and we have to do it by telephone. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm picture, there's, a, <laughs> yeah. there's long pauses, let's put there's it There's the way. pajama yeah, pictures, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is right, what we right. all have nowadays, so. you know. Um, this seems to be a time where we would actually see uh, an increase because of the stress level people are going through and the amount of people who need services from somebody. Are you seeing an increase? Uh, phone calls, I think that has picked up. More people are calling us than were before. And many of those are current clients, though. I wouldn't say we have too many new folks calling, but feel free to call. That's okay. Are you still accepting new clients? Um, we can. It's hard to do an assessment by yeah. telehealth, right? Um, especially by phone. That's probably not uh, how we would do an assessment. Would we all qualify? Well, <laughs> depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I... I do think if people, I am concerned about people sitting and being isolated and becoming anxious and depressed, and SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, has an 800 number, and they open this number whenever there's a disaster or a distress uh, help needed, and they did it during Katrina. It is open again 
and that number is 800-985-5990. And they have trained professionals on that line 24-7 to talk to people. So if you feel depressed or anxious, that's a good number to call. Also, they now have a texting option. If you text talk with us, all one word, to 66746, they will text you. So they have a texting option as well as a phone option. And that's a great resource because SAMHSA has trained professionals at that center, and it's a national hotline for when there's disasters or um, stressful distress for the population. So of the th- the therapist, as part of therapist, is it an elective that you may have about the this is my emergency response hat, and if I'm going to offer therapy in an emergency situation, this is the type of uh, this is the type of therapy I'm going to offer. You know what I mean? Is there any specialty any Anything that you do different other than telemarketing when you're dealing with people with, who are dealing with, you know, kids that are out of control or just wild panic over what's happening in the environment? I think the focus becomes more on the immediate emotion. Yeah. Uh, sometimes in psychotherapy, we're looking at past issues and deeper psychotherapy. I think we would focus more on the immediate emotion, the anxiety, the depression how to relieve those symptoms, what do we do as people to take a break, what do we do to get away from it. Um, I would suggest turning off the news uh, once in a while uh, just to take a break from Thanks it. for that plug uh, there, Stephen. Well, uh, <laughs> I think when you get inundated with it, it, it creates more anxiety. So, yeah, turn so off you, the news once in a so while. So you have the answers. I mean, so, Some. so you can alleviate part of that temporary stress that people have yes by, in, by in offering the therapy yes. if they so if somebody can't be um come in for a session or sit in the couch and watch it on their phone uh, the the numbers that you would call are more like a helpline that would get them a therapist that would talk to them on yeah phone? the 800 number i read that's true um they would uh talk to a therapist on that phone if they want to call the counseling center, they can. Um, we will try to respond to those calls as quickly as possible. As time goes, we may add extra staff to answer the phone if necessary, those sorts of things. Okay. So, yeah. So you have that capacity. Yes. So your relationship with Providence, I'm not quite sure what it is, but do you offer the staff of Providence services as well? Well, yes. There are several of our staff that are CSP staff that are over there working now, actually. Um, We also do on-call for the emergency room. So when there is a psychiatric patient, we are on-call to ER or third floor, and we, in consultation with an attending physician, make decisions about whether that person is stable and could be treated here in the community, or do they need further care? Just like a medical patient might be lifted somewhere, we uh, use Weka, which is a transport company, and sometimes they go on to um, Alaska Psychiatric Institute or Bartlett Regional Hospital or Fairbanks. Those are the three main um, psychiatric units in the state that do those evaluations for us. So, so what kind of uh, mental health issues are you? 
projecting that the community is going to start um, exhibiting here because of what we're going through? I think there'll be an increase in anxiety. Um, we are social creatures, and we are being told not to be social. I think that will, in and of itself, create some anxiety. I would say, um, to alleviate that a little bit, take a walk. If you are in a house with a bunch of people anyway, um, doesn't harm you to walk with those people. Walk your dog. Um, make a distraction for yourself. Um, walk somewhere you usually drive you'll see things you didn't see before um i would say get a hobby out. this is the time to get a hobby out of the closet if you had something you wanted to finish now is the time to do it pull those scrapbooks out or that piece of furniture you were going to refinish and get to work and i think um that serves another purpose when we feel a sense of accomplishment we mitigate depression and anxiety when we have completed something with a purpose it mitigates our anxiety and our depression. So that's important. Uh, pick up a task and, and see it through to completion during this downtime. I think that's crucial. How, how should parents deal with kids? I think they should be open and talk to them about what's going on. I think they should reassure them that they are safe with them. Um, depending on their developmental level, many of them do understand why they're having to do what they do. And I think it's a good time to say um, for a child to learn, it's not necessarily all about me, but it's about other people too. It's about the safety of the public. And um, it's a good opportunity to teach a child um, those values of protecting others and taking care of each other. For for the people that work in the hospital in particular, you know, it, is there anything you can offer them other than, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the people that are the emergency providers in our community are going through a lot more stress and a lot less sleep than other people. And is there something particular in like doctor you, what, what do you guys do to sort of be able to handle what you're dealing with so in the hospital chaplain innocent um is and his um team are they round they have always rounded daily to every department going hey how are you doing do you want to talk so um and he is really um step that up and I think that's and we talk amongst ourselves too like are you doing okay how are things going this was a stressful time um, the emergency medical system has for years had a process where if we really have a stressful event that we debrief um, amongst ourselves and a formalized debriefing um, so that process is, we're used to that. And I think we're um, good at telling people how we feel or picking up on somebody who's not doing well. But, um, you know, and Chaplain Edison's around several times a day just to see how all of the caregivers um, are doing. 
And I can even add a little bit onto that. I think as a, a faith-based um, organization, as well as a healthcare organization, we are acutely aware of the importance of mental health. And we have resources within um, within our organization, such as we have a, a caregiver assistance program, which Stephen probably can speak a lot better to. But um, we are really good at taking care of each other, and we're really good at... Um, you know, hey, you look like you, you probably could take a break right now. You know, are you doing okay, like Dr. Smith was saying? Um, so I think we have unique um, capabilities just as the type of organization that we are to care for one another and, and direct care for those who seem to be um, stressing or, you know, need someone to talk to, need a break. There, there is a, a care line for the caregivers of Providence um, and it is an internal number hmm. that they can call right now that is staffed by folks in Anchorage. So, but it is for the whole Alaska region. And that is a number that has just gone up in the last actually three days. And caregivers can call that line if they are stressed out. So we have our own internal folks in Anchorage at a um, call center fielding those calls from our caregivers when uh, they need to just chat, get stressed, Whatever. So we do have that support system in place. So are we seeing more stress lately? Is it just anticipatory stress? Or um, is it the calm before the storm? No answers. We'll move on to something else. As more people stay home, are there illnesses or injuries that the hospital doesn't normally see come through the emergency that are actually increasing Home accidents, cold, flu, sinus, etc. Does the hospital have to be specially prepared for an increase in non-normal injuries and illnesses? I, that's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So what I would tell people is that um, if you if you think you need medical care, call. Don't delay that, and don't worry about if you're concerned that you have an illness that needs to be cared for, but you don't come contact us or come to the hospital because you're worried about being infected with coronavirus, we're taking care to keep that from happening. And I don't want anybody to think that we're ever going to refuse their care. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is labor and delivery. They're prepared to continue on with their childbirth process um, and keep those patients safe. So don't not seek medical care because you're worried about infection. If you have a question, call us. We'll always try and answer that. Okay. Who does know COVID test results if you don't? And where do we get the assurance while the rumor mill goes on of negative test results? So currently, the if a test is collected, it goes um, to either the state lab in Fairbanks or Anchorage or um, to commercial labs, either LabCorp or Quest, and those are those would come through the um, providers that order that. So, 
you know, either KCHC or CANA are doing the tests in the community tent, and they have a process to send those off. If we collect a test in our hospital, um, it is sent, um, if, we, if it's an inpatient that we critically have to know that information, then it can go up to the state lab, or if it's not an emergent situation, it can go to the commercial lab. The turnaround time, unfortunately, is still several days on any of that process. Um, if we get negative results, um, that whoever the uh, individual was who had the test collected on them, they're informed of that. If it's positive, obviously, they would be informed as well. Um, the biggest shortage right now is if you have a test done, it takes several days to get the result back. But for treatment purposes, it really doesn't have anything, it doesn't do anything. It just starts the investigation earlier, doesn't it? I mean, the sooner we know, the more we can quickly track the other people who may have it so it, it doesn't go Wider. And that's an important point that, uh, Mike, that they brought out at the state level and is our treatment of somebody who has um, a severe illness from any infectious disease, and in this case a viral illness like coronavirus, we don't have an antiviral antibiotic that is, you give that and you're cured. We're dealing with the um, effects of that. Uh, the critical um, you know, lung issues on that. And so that care is still the same process. Yeah. <clears throat> Why, it, 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 do we, how am I going to ask this question? Originally when, when we heard about this, it was uh, people with pre-existing conditions and people over 60 and some other factors, those were most at risk for severe illness or death. I'm not sure if that's changing a little bit now because it seems to be affecting more people of all ages now, and people of all ages seem to be dying except for kids, maybe. Um, but what is it about this that we can do to be able... You know, is there anything you can do personally to protect yourself, even if you get it? So the first protection is, as we've been talking, social distance. Don't get it. Don't yeah. get it. Keep away from people. And if you get it, a lot of people may have just mild symptoms, you know, more like cold symptoms that you would do your normal, you know, treatment for Tylenol and fluids and keeping away from other people, using care if you cough to, to not spread it to other household members or other um individuals near you. I think we're um, we're all more worried about this and so we where somebody might have come to work with a cold, now they're staying home, which I think is a really good idea. Absolutely. So we've if just from um, disease communicate or communicability, we're doing a better job of keeping everybody else around us safe. You guys deal with diseases all the time in the hospital and in particular it's been noted that the flu season is particularly bad this year so I'm assuming that 
is this a different animal than what you normally do for dealing with a flu patient? Because I'd be afraid to death of being in, in the room with with somebody with a severe case of flu, too. So is it anything different than what you already do? Only because of the uncertainty of um, the coronavirus. You know, we don't have this, the, the research yet to know exactly what it does. But other than that, no, we do the same thing. We take care to make sure that somebody else isn't infected. Um, we... Well, is the treatment for the flu once? I mean, you, you get the flu shot, but you still get the flu, and then you have the flu, and you lay around for two weeks and hope that you know this death that you're going through is going to be over quickly. <laughs> was that a question? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that was my question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 there's not treatment for it. Other than you providing fluids and breathing assistance, right now it's if you get it, do you get it really bad, or do you get it really, really bad? Um, but we just want to prevent it from spreading to other people. Right, you want to prevent it from spreading to other people. And so I think your question is supportive treatment, whether it's done at home or if somebody's really in respiratory a critical issue and it's done in the hospital and in an intensive care unit, it's still a supportive measure to so try and get that person through that. And the difference is if you have an individual with a bacterial infection, so one of the big concerns about influenza or the flu was those individuals, the viral part set them up to get potentially a bacterial infection, which we might have antibiotics that would treat that, or we stand a better chance with antibiotics. So um, that's one of the big problems with any of these viral illnesses is it potentially weakens your body's ability to fight other infections. Got a question here. There was a COVID-19 case in Kodiak that flew back recently. They are all self-quarantined, and the flight was empty enough that passengers were spaced out. But where is the weak link in the chain? The baggage handlers, the ticket agent, they probably want it, won't get tested out of fear of community stigma and other reasons. So to date, we have not had a positive coronavirus patient in Kodiak. This may go into the rumor mill part of that yeah. question there. So um, I, I can't answer more to that. I know that um, the governor has restricted those individuals coming back to our state and said you have to be in 14 days of quarantine um, and stay away from people in social isolation. So I can't comment to air travel and Got a question about whether should should everybody still get a flu shot? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because the influenza, I mean, it's every year we see strains of influenza, and I don't know the exact statistics, but I, it's influenza um, has a significant mortality um, every year. Yeah. Yeah. And. How many people actually go in for advanced to hospitalization from the flu? 
I mean, most people, as I know, you get the flu and you you stay home and you you wait until it's over. I don't have a like a percentage number or anything. I mean, do you see a lot of, have we seen a lot through this year, a lot of flu patients in the hospital? So we've seen individuals who have had tested positive for influenza and then had the secondary complications, pneumonia. And usually those are the um, patients with an underlying medical problems. Which leads into this, is smoking a risk for poor outcomes? Smoking is always a risk for a poor outcome in general health. I mean, <laughs> that was kind yes. of one of those softball <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, which that that was an interesting lead, even though it had some information that was questionable. Um, what are we going to do in, in regard to stigma from people who have tested positive? Is there is that something that we're going to have to look at? I mean, if you get this virus and you're quarantined, now we have this whole group of people that have come back and self-quarantined for two weeks, and and after their two weeks is up, you know, they're they're free. Um, and and if somebody comes back actually with a positive result and 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 makes it through okay, um, do you foresee some problems? Some, some well, with social acceptance, you know? I think we need to start at the beginning and say that the person who contracts something is not their fault. It's not a blame thing. It's not a res- it's a responsibility, but it's not a blame. If I, I'll use myself as an example, if I have it, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect you. I'm going to sit in my house, and I'm going to get all the stuff out of the freezer, and I'm not going to leave, and I think I have enough food in there for about mm, two, three months probably. And that's my responsibility to you. And I feel like that shouldn't be stigmatized. That should be applauded that the person takes responsibility for what they do. And I think that's important that we say that now at the beginning. And so that doesn't become a stigma. I think we can fight that off by um, promoting that idea or that feeling that it's just a responsibility to take care of each other. Great. That's how we be, are a strong community. Yes. Right. Is there advantages for us being here on this place as opposed to being on the mainland connected? I mean, I see some advantages to being close to a social section, but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We only got a minute and a half, so let's move on to something else. Uh, how can folks in the community help you do what you do during this time? I think um, the community is doing a great job of following the guidelines, staying away, um, keeping social distancing. They're, um, you know, they've got drive-throughs for food service. I mean, we can't be just stuck in our house, but when you have, you know, you have to get out for your own mental health, but you take into account everybody else that you're around. Do so, you, um, well, specifically, do you folks on the staff need anything from the community to help you continue to do what you do? Cookies are always good. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest thing is people staying home, social distancing, 
And that's really going to be the biggest help for, for us so we don't potentially have a patient surge or get this in our community and spread it in our community. So we really want to protect each other. And when we get through this, then we can all be out together and go back to, you know, the social things that we do here in Kodiak. And so I know people are feeling isolated. So get out your cell phones, use your FaceTime. You know, we just have to do it differently right now. And um, I think that's crucial. Stay connected, Um, not necessarily by texting, but use FaceTime and voice because the comfort is in hearing someone else's voice. And I think um, the aunt, uncle, the grandma you haven't talked to for a while, that's important to pick up the phone and actually call them or do a FaceTime because I think we get comfort from other people's voices knowing that they're okay. It okay. is it is lovely to have you folks in the community, and we thank you for your time for coming in today. Thank you. For Thanks having for having us. us. Okay. Thank you.